I love to ask questions. And kids, I'm going to start by asking you a few questions before I ask everybody else some questions. Do you see on the second page of your handout those questions? You see them? How many of you raised your hand already circled some of those? Lucas, anybody else? Well, if you circled them or not, I need your help. Would you stand up if you were a child? If you are a kid, big kids, you can do this too. I'm looking at you, Robert, but it's all right. He started to get up. All right, here's what I'm going to do. These questions on your paper, I'm going to ask you. And if it's the first one, I want you to put your hands up. If it's the second one, you got to touch your toes. That good? So watch out, people behind all these kids, because there's going to be some touching of the toes and some hands up. So I'm going to ask you a few questions. And if it's the first one, I want to see your hands in the air. And if it's the second one on the other side, I want to see touch your toes. Y'all ready? You good with this? All right. Everybody else, you can play along, but you don't have to touch your toes. Sound good? I'm going to ask questions tonight. Kids, we're starting with you. First, hands up for chocolate ice cream. Touch toes for vanilla ice cream. Yeah, yeah, okay. Hands up. Yeah, yeah, all right. This next one, y'all ready? Hands up, Skittles. Touch your toes, M&Ms. I could have guessed that one right there. All right. Now, hands up. Movies. Hands down, touch toes, TV shows. Movies up, TV shows down. Longer of an experience, says the nine-year-old, who sounds like a budding movie critic. Okay? Next. We need hands up. This is a park thing now. Hands up, slides. Touch toes, swings. Slides and swings. Yep, yep. Okay? Two more, ready? Hands up, video games. Touch toes, board games or card games or whatever games. Okay? My children are raising their hands and they probably haven't played video games but once in six months. Okay, sure, whatever. Good, all right, last one. This is super important, ready? Hands up, hamburgers. Touch toes, hot dogs. Wow, not a lot of love for hot dogs in here. Wow. So kiddos, y'all say burgers? All right. Okay, well, thank you, kiddos. Y'all give them a hand now that they're all limbered up. I'd love for you guys to stay with us for the rest of that little handout. Grown-ups, I hope you have yours because tonight we're going to ask and answer three big questions. Jesus loved to ask questions. He asked them all throughout the Gospels, which are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the stories about Jesus. He didn't answer very many. He answered a fraction of the questions he asked because Jesus loved to ask them. His disciples loved to ask questions. I think there's something sad that we've lost in our church tradition when we're not allowed to ask questions. We see also in these stories of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, they're continually asking questions because the one they follow is asking questions. So tonight we're going to ask and answer three big questions. Kiddos, we're going to look in particular at a guy named Thomas. 
Thomas, he had a big question. Y'all want to know what his question was? You ready for it? His question was basically this. Uh, Jesus rose for real? Are you serious? That's his big question. Because kiddos, Thomas also had a doubt. Have you heard that word doubt? Raise your hand if you heard the word doubt. What do you think a doubt means? A doubt is kind of like, for real? That's just like his question. Here's the deal. We're going to ask and answer three big questions about faith and doubt. But Thomas, look, shows us that questions and doubts can be holy when they lead us on a quest to go deeper. I love questions because baked within that word is a quest. When you ask and doubt in a way that leads you deeper in and further out into what's possible, I believe that that's when questions and doubts can actually be holy. Thomas, often known as what? Doubting Thomas, sometimes gets a bad rap, but I think Thomas can show us how questions and doubts can lead us deeper. So that's where we're up to today. Would you turn with me, if you haven't already, to John chapter 20? We're going to look at the Sunday after the first Easter. So around this time that we are all sitting here together, this is when, around the time, this takes place. I'm in John chapter 20. We're going to start reading in verse 24. If you didn't have a Bible, uh, we have one on those tables. That is a gift to you if you don't have one. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. That would be came the first time in the verses above. So the other disciples told him, Man, we have seen the Lord! But Thomas said to them, "Uh, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Verse 26. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you've seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. This is the word of God for the people of God. And we say, thanks be to God. It was about a year and a half ago, I was having a conversation with a dear friend of mine who was a Christian but had left the Christian faith. And we were talking this particular occasion because he had read a book And this book was by a Christian author, and it kind of blew him up. It blew him up in the best way. Have you ever had one of those books that you thought you had it all figured out, and then it comes across your life, and it just like expands your mind, and all of a sudden, you're like, wow, I need to rethink everything. Have you had that experience before? I'm talking with this gentleman who was a Christian who was 
not a Christian at this time, but he read a book that reinvigorated his interest in Christ. And he reclaimed some of that spark that he had let die. He's telling me, this man who's an avowed atheist says, man, Christ is so much bigger than we ever give him credit for. He's like in all things and moving and at work and it's amazing. We've domesticated Christ and he's so big. And I'm like, wow, yeah, cool, great. And he said, you know what's so crazy is when the, the Garden of Eden happened and Adam and Eve, you know, took the fruit and this whole story. It's like they entered into this thing that's like it's everything's black and white and uh, we're separated from God and one another and from this planet. And, and when Christ comes, he says, I've come to break down barriers and make everyone one, one in me, one with God. He's like, man. Christ is like reconciling the world to himself. And I'm like, uh-huh, yes, 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 uh-huh. And he goes, and it's so crazy because we keep putting people in boxes and we say, you're out because you look this way. You're out because you sound this way. You're out because of where you are from. And Christ is continually pushing himself to the margins and inviting everyone in. I said, yes, uh-huh, uh-huh. And he goes, it's crazy. I said, dude, that's the gospel. You just preached the gospel to me. And he goes, man, it's crazy. I don't believe that Jesus was raised from the dead. But, and I said, but you're pretty close. That's a big deal. But you're pretty close. It kind of all hinges on him being alive. He goes, I'm not so sure, but man, he's awesome. That's what I think is going on when doubts and questions can send you deeper. It's a big deal that Jesus was raised. That's kind of the threshold. Because to pray to someone you don't believe is alive, I, I, it's a big deal. But he was questioning and leaning in enough that he was on this journey. Deeper and deeper. My friend and Thomas had questions and doubts, but questions and doubts can be holy when they lead us on a quest to go deeper. John, who wrote this book, that we've been talking about for the last seven weeks. He wants us to go deeper down the road. How many signs did he record in his gospel? That's another word for miracles. You remember? Seven. Last week was the seventh. They're all signs leading us down to the risen Christ until we, like Thomas, see and believe and find life. And watch this, y'all. Even though we haven't seen Jesus face to face, listen, we can see without seeing. John wrote this book knowing that those who came after Thomas and all the others would not see Jesus face to face. But he wrote in such a way that says, because Jesus is alive, you can see him and sense him without really seeing him and touching him like Thomas. Now, let's get into our three big questions in the few moments we have left together. Thomas missed the dinner party that Jesus crashed earlier in John chapter 20. And eventually he comes back around and his friends are like, dude, we saw him. It's crazy. Like he was standing right here. And Thomas is like, nah. And like, no, no, seriously, like the doors were locked and he showed up and he said, peace be with you. And he's like, nah. I said, no, for real, like right here, like some of us were eating with him. It's nuts. And haven't you heard the stories? And he goes, nah. 
They said, dude, you won't believe it. He says, you're right, I don't believe it. He says, I won't believe it unless what? Unless I touch him. Unless I touch him. I got to make sure that he's not a ghost or some hallucination. Besides, watch this. Remember Peter and John and James? Y'all didn't believe the women when they told you first. Mm. Anybody remember that part of the story? The first evangelists, the first one announcing good news sent to tell of the risen Lord were women. And these dudes didn't want to believe them. So Thomas is like, dude, I'm in the same boat. Well, he had his questions and he had his doubts. So let's be real with it. If Jesus' closest friends had these, let's look at our first question. And I'm going to give you a moment to reflect. Here's our first question. What is it about God that, like Thomas and the disciples that first Easter, still leaves you questioning, wondering, or even doubting? Would you take a moment and name it? Maybe you have a pen and you can write it. There's pens on the table. And maybe in a moment, a few of you can say it. Because if we can't talk about it in the community of other disciples, where can we talk about it? There's just too much mystery in this world and in our faith. And Thomas and the others have shown too much of an example that I believe gives us enough to enter in ourselves. What is it about God that like Thomas and the disciples that first Easter, it still leaves you questioning, wondering, or even doubting? Anyone want to bravely say something? If not, if you're just writing things, that's important because sometimes naming things has a way of changing things, putting it down to process, but naming things also has a way of, watch, taming things. And if you share it, you might know that you're not alone. Anybody want to share something? That he hears every prayer. Certainly we've had this question before, right? The Lord does mysterious things. I know he doesn't answer every prayer because, man, I would be driving a lot nicer car and a lot nicer house. He does answer prayer. That's good. So these are some of the answers to our question. Is God actually real? It's hard when we, we, we can sense, we can see, we can do these. But sometimes in our dark moments, if we're honest with ourselves, that's a question that the people the world over have wrestled with. Anyone else before we move on? If God is love, why do most of the people that come to follow him look so unloving? This is good. If God is love, why do most people that claim to follow him look so unloving? We have answers to some of these questions, but sometimes it's good to just leave the question out there. Because it sends us on a quest to go deeper. I hope you're okay sitting with this. And if you feel a little tension, that's okay because tension means movement. And the way that these questions and doubts can become holy is if that movement is a direction toward a God who is love and who's big enough and mysterious enough to handle our wondering, our questions, and our doubts. Amen? Thank you for sharing those. It's not easy to do, especially in this setting. 
So we continue with our story. A week passes. The next Sunday, the disciples have been telling Thomas all the reports about the women who came, about the two people on the road to Emmaus who were walking with Jesus unawares until he broke the bread and disappeared. They told him the story we were just talking about of the dinner party that Jesus crashed. And listen, this is super important. You know what these disciples are also learning? That Jesus, the risen Christ, is not a genie that shows up in all the ways you expect and all the times you expect. But his presence is so much bigger than they ever expected. There's so much more power than they ever expected. But he is not a genie that just shows up at every beck and call. So Thomas, with all his questions and doubts, that through the years of history has been known as Doubting Thomas, y'all know where Thomas is? Still with the disciples. Did you notice that? The same guy that said, unless I see it, unless I do this anyway, what are we having for dinner? I'm back. Why didn't he go home? That's a question I have. Go back to fishing or whatever you were doing a few years ago before this whole kingdom enterprise went a different direction you expected, Thomas. I think that we need to be a part of communities that still makes room and makes space for the Thomases because as long as they're willing to show up, we need to make space. Because everybody on their journey with Jesus may be in different places in their walk. One of my mentors in ministry said, man, you've got to learn to run with the fastest and walk with the slowest. Would we be a community that is able to run with the fastest and walk with the slowest? Not because they're more or less spiritual, but because life does not consist of a journey always up and to the right, but in the hills and valleys. So thank God we have a shepherd that walks with us in those valleys as well as the green pastures. And he's given us a people to do the same. So when you're mourning, you have people here mourning with you. When you're rejoicing, you have people here rejoicing with you. And the way church works when it works is that we have space to do that together, each pocket in each season, authentically together, even if it means questions and doubts. Are we prepared to be that kind of community? Making room for Thomases, making room for the others who are so convinced, and then the others just say, I need to see more. Thomas, to his credit, still kept showing up. Probably because Thomas knew that at least there's some life and love still here left. Do you remember the week before Jesus went to the cross, he had a last supper. And in John's Gospel, in John 14, it records a famous conversation where Jesus says, hey, I'm about to leave and where I'm going, you can't come. But I'm going to prepare a place for you. But you can't come now, but I'm going to come back so you can be with me. And then Thomas, listen, it was Thomas that says, hold on, Jesus. Stop right there. You're telling me that we know the way? Yes, you know the way. And he goes, dude, we don't even know where you're going. How can we know the way? 
This is in Scripture. This is before Jesus is getting crucified. This is like the last hoorah, going away party for Jesus. And he goes, psych, Jesus, you're losing it. We don't know what you're talking about. We don't know the way. What does Jesus say to him next? I am the way and the truth and the life. Thomas, the way is a person to be trusted. So now fast forward a few days later, Thomas is sitting around with the disciples. He's heard the stories. He's holding on to his doubts and questions. And all of a sudden in the passage that we just read, again, Jesus enters into the room. He says, peace be with you. And he looks Thomas in the eyes. And I have to believe that he maybe just said, I told you, you knew the way. And I just love that in John's gospel, we have, he tells us, so many miracles left off the table. So many interactions left off the table. But in this moment, he looks Thomas in the eye, potentially in the same room as that conversation. And he shows up and he says, look, you can touch me. Put your hand right here. I am here I am present with you in your doubting and in your questions. And I want to imagine, he said, I told you, you knew the way. Second big question, and I'll give you a moment to respond in your paper and a few of you out loud. When was the last time you were surprised by God's peace, power, or presence in a difficult situation? Can you put your finger on it the way Thomas potentially, we're not told if he did or not, but can you put your finger on a moment this last week, this last month, six weeks, six months, where you say that? Maybe it was just a fleeting moment, maybe it was an afternoon, where you were surprised. I was feeling this way, I was going through this, it was hard, it was difficult, but can you put your finger on something? Those of you who've written something down or have something off the top of your head and would like to share, could you share something with us to encourage us, especially after question one? Maybe some of us can show those who are in the middle of question one, questioning, wondering, and doubting. Maybe some of you have walked to the front of the path running with the fastest, and you're in a moment where you can say, let me show you, let me tell you. Can somebody bear witness to how God's peace, power, or presence showed up and surprised you in a difficult situation. Thanks for sharing, man. For those of you that didn't hear, they're in the middle of building a house. He's literally with his own hands building a house. And in the winter storm, as many of you all know, the house that they were staying in got completely destroyed by the flood and the pipes bursting. And then this week, he thinks a tendon popped in his foot and he's just sitting there as they're staying in a shed at the moment in the house that they're building. 
And after all of this, he said he had this keen sense of resting in God, a keen awareness that we have food, we have shelter, and we have people and love. And it just snapped him into that reality, he said, where he was able to rest in God, even in the midst of all that craziness. Thank you for sharing. Somebody else? Yeah. Amen. So Amy said that after a year of not really meeting consistently face to face, we had this Lent campaign where we were trying to raise money for our kingdom partners. We're ascending church of some missionaries and in Juarez uh, and then also in Central Asia. And we not only met that fundraising goal, we exceeded it by 50 or more percent of that. So praise God. Let's clap for that. Thank you, church. That's not to say that many of us haven't suffered loss and difficulty, but we were still able to give sacrificially and generously. It's a perk of not owning a building. We get to send a lot of that money out. Maybe one or two more. I know we've got some time to keep moving. Yes, ma'am. Yes. Cool. Wow, thank you for sharing. Thank you for sharing. Okay, first time visitors standing up and sharing. Amen. That deserves another round of applause. For those of you that didn't hear, she lost her job just before the pandemic. And she was intending to set off on this journey of really kind of sorting through her faith and growing in her faith. And then still having not being able to work, she started this new ministry. And God has richly provided uh, for her and for that ministry. And uh, she's still here today. And so thank you for sharing that so much. I have a sense that just this week, and I, I, for me a tangible uh, things for me that I was thinking on and reflecting on is just God's continual giving of daily bread. And the second thing, and I'm so grateful for because I grew up with a lot of weird shame when it came to God. For me, a sense of God's goodness and evidence of his power, peace and presence has been for me a growing and abiding sense that God is love, that God is good and that God is at work in all situations. And that just became something that felt so settled in me that God is good and that God is love. I hope that you have written down something. I hope that you've reflected on something. I hope that you've been encouraged in this second question. Because even though we haven't seen him, we can still see without seeing. Now, let's keep moving. I love this. John's gospel in John 1 begins with words that echoed the first book of the Bible, Genesis. 
Are you familiar with John chapter 1? If you have a paper Bible, why don't you turn there? If you have it on your phone, flip there. It's powerful poetry. He says, in the beginning was the Word. And that Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word was in the beginning God. All things were made through Him, and not one thing that has been made was made without this Word. And then it says, in Him was life. And that life was the light of all humankind. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Now jump down to verse 18. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son who is Himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father has made Him known. Can y'all say made Him known? Y'all know that we love Tex-Mex in our family. And I love one of my favorite Bible teachers. Uh, one of my favorite Bible teachers taking one of my favorite doctrines called the incarnation, which is the enfleshment of God, that he's made God known to the world. And then he also married that with my other favorite thing, which is Tex-Mex. He said, basically, the word became flesh and it's God con carne. It's God with meat. No one had seen God. We had sensed Him. We had, say, we had seen Him without seeing. But then Jesus moves into our neighborhood as an immigrant, brown person, poor, so that He might take the whole world, that no person might be excluded, and elevate humankind. And the darkness has not overcome this God con carne, even when we nailed Him to a cross. This is powerful stuff. So Jesus, God concarne, stands visible in front of Thomas. He says, here I am. What more do you need? God concarne. John says he's made him known. Look, touch. And then he says, Thomas, enough is enough, man. You've walked with me for three years. You've seen all of this. Here I am. You can touch. You can know. He basically says, stop your disbelieving and start believing. Why? Because Thomas, you continue to cut yourself off from life that's right here and now because you're always going to have that unless, 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 unless I this, unless I that. And we start to play these games of like a standoff with God that I won't unless or if you then this. And God is standing right here in front of us. Jesus with Thomas, God con carne, standing right here in front of him and said, look, I'm here. You are living. You are breathing. There's a step to take. Let's make it because you're cutting yourself off from the light and life that is standing right here before you. And there are some of us right here that are cutting ourselves off from light and life that is standing right here before us simply because we are unwilling to take a step toward Jesus when Jesus, like Thomas, has taken a step toward you in spite of your questions, in spite of your doubts, in spite of your, in spite of your disbelieving. He stands before you and says, let's go, let's do this. This is why I love this story. So then what he says... Next is powerful. Let me ask you a trivia question. How many times has Jesus been called God directly in the Gospel of John? This is a serious trivia question. Does anybody want to guess? John says that he was God, but he wasn't speaking to Jesus in 
calling him God directly. So how many times in John's gospel is Jesus, somebody comes to Jesus and says, hey God, how many? Zero. My man. John chapter 1, he says, in the beginning, the word was with God and the word was God. The end of his story, John chapter 20, is the first time that Jesus is directly called God. And it's Thomas. My Lord and my God. Here at the end, he sees and he believes. And then John closes that story by saying, now it's your turn. Jesus says, now it's your turn. Thomas, you said that because you saw me, you felt me. We had dinner tonight. But blessed are those who can see without seeing. That's us. Show of hands if you've seen Jesus face to face. I've had some mystical, powerful encounters, but I've never touched him. Blessed are you who see without seeing. Now, final question as we round home. Sorry, it's sunny and breezy and I'm like just going to preach all night, but this is the last question. What have you experienced that you've seen without seeing that is the tangible evidence of God's living presence breaking into your everyday life? What is it? I may not have seen him face to face, but this. Some of these answers, I think that we just heard in question number two, could also fall into this category. Yeah. Amanda Stone, amen. I am sorry, Amanda. Can I just do this? I know I think you've been having a rough couple weeks, but you are a living, breathing, tangible example of God's goodness. We told someone last week about your story and how we've seen God working. Wendell is a living, breathing testimony of God's goodness. Amen? Amen. There's other stories, but I've already embarrassed some. I could point to more. Amen. Amen. Can I just can we just say that one more time? Amen. Literally, literally, we know someone on life support that was all the medical doctors, all of this. And we see someone raised from the dead. They said he won't talk, he won't walk. And within hours talking and walking. This doesn't happen all the time, but it happens enough to show us that God is at work and he can be trusted and he's good. Amen. Those are, those, are, those are big. What else? Yes. His surgery. Halloween two years? Three years? Two years ago. Amen. We have reasons to sing. We have reasons to celebrate. We have reasons to keep coming back. Even if this week may not feel like that one week, that one time. Amen? Amen. Any more before we close out? I'm having a good time tonight. Hi.
Amen. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you. Thank you so much. I really hope that you heard that. 2017, she moved here. She entered into a deep place, a depressive state. She was not diagnosed. She didn't have this medication. And she said, it's only because of God that she's standing here. God saved her, pulled her out of this. And she said, even tangibly, the room that she once saw was not as dark anymore. And what's so powerful about what you shared, and I thank you for sharing that, is because it's so hard to see in the present tense. Sometimes it only takes a little more distance to look back and see that he was actually with you each step of the way. Amen? Amen. Thank you so much again for sharing how brave of you and how encouraging. It's so good to brag on God. Amen? Amen. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for writing. I hope that you have something that you can point to. And if not, keep showing up. Keep waiting. Keep calling out. Keep praying. He's with you. And he has more in store. I'll close. In 2013, I had a couple souvenirs that I sent from the bottom of the Grand Canyon. Okay? So my dad is here. He remembers 11, 12, 13, November 12th, 2013, we spent the night at the bottom of the Grand Canyon at a place called Phantom Ranch, Bill and Sherry. And we mailed postcards. And it was the only place in the world that you could get this stamp because it was just in this place. And this mail that would leave the bottom of the Grand Canyon could only be taken out by mule, donkey. 
And so these postcards I wrote down in 2013, got the special postmark, and they rode a donkey up and out of the Grand Canyon and eventually made their way to our house. One was addressed to little Emma, and one was addressed to soon-to-be-born Nora. And these are special souvenirs, even though they're just these little postcards, because of the fact that we had to travel all the way down to send it back up. And the reason I bring this up is the reason I believe that Jesus even in his resurrected body, a body made for heaven, a body that will not taste death again, is still marked with the souvenirs of his life and pain and suffering and victory from his time here in our neighborhood. Isn't it amazing that as Thomas, as Virginia Stim Owen says, extends his hand toward the ragged edges of those injuries, wondering if he's about to touch a ghost or God. He touches a God who went all the way down to us so that he might bring us all the way back into life and light. He says, I'm familiar with your suffering. I'm familiar with your brokenness. I'm familiar with your poverty. See the souvenirs. And for all of us that come, who see that without seeing, he bears in his body the memory of crucifixion. That even in his resurrection body, the tangible evidence of the height, the length, the breadth of God's love for you, the lamb who was slain, but yet lives. Amen? So come with your questions, come with your doubts, provided they keep you moving forward deeper in to the one who extends his arms of love to you so that you might know light in life through Christ. Amen. God, we are so grateful for this moment together. We are so grateful for these stories. These stories that are powerful representations of your goodness and love. And Lord, as we talk about this tangible evidence, the very fact that we are gathered here living and breathing is evidence of your sustaining power and presence even in this moment. You are upholding us by the very power and goodness of you, the giver of life. So Lord, we just ask in these next moments as, as we respond at the table, as we respond in song, that we would be aware of the souvenirs that Christ himself still bears even though he has ascended to your right hand. We pray that you in these moments of reflection would impress upon us the tangible evidence of your goodness as we remember your sacrifice and resurrection. Bless those gathered here. Bless those that shared and those that didn't. Bless all of us on our journey that we might seek you and find you. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said,